You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast. Westpacwire.com.au. Well, it's finally happened. Australia's multi year property boom, led by Sydney and Melbourne, has officially turned, with June marking nine consecutive months of national house price declines. But is this that unusual? Analysis shows that in the past 60 years, Australia's experienced several periods of falling house prices outside of recessions raising the question of whether this will be another manageable slowdown rather than something more nasty. I'm Michael Bennett, the editor of Westpac Wire, and here to help us make some sense of what's going on is Matthew Hassan. He's a senior economist at Westpac. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Hi. Now, you're part of the broader economics team, led by Bill Evans, and you tend to focus quite a bit on issues affecting consumers. So no doubt you've been watching the housing market fairly closely in recent months? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we, we uh, got a bit of a heads up about the slowdown um, from our consumer sentiment survey uh, late 2016, early 2017. Um, a lot of the results around housing and time to buy um, fell away uh, sharply, um, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, of course, at that stage, it was really being driven by investors. So um, the market sort of held up a, a bit better. After that, uh, but yes, since then we have seen this move into correction, and for the consumer, it's obviously a touchy subject, and so uh, we need to know. Uh, so we're all over this one, and trying to assess, like you say, how um, how shallow or deep or long, or um, how this one's likely to pan out. Um, don't get absolute answers to these things, but um, we're, we're watching very closely. And I know it's just this week you put out um, quite a few notes, but one around building approvals, which. Mm-hmm. Looked like they came in a bit soft. Um, we also had the RBA cash rate meeting, and again, it looks like that's not going to move for quite some time. Um, and the other thing we had this week was um, the monthly CoreLogic data, um, which was kind of interesting uh, this time around because it was uh, the financial year. So people mm-hmm. got to check out what had happened in the past mm-hmm. 12 months, and um, it wasn't the prettiest picture for the housing market, and particularly when you compare it to something like equities. I think the S and P ASX 200 for the financial year was up around eight, eight and a half percent, not including dividends. So, if you're in equities for the past financial year compared to housing, you're probably um, pretty happy. True. Um, I'm not sure that most uh, housing investors work on a, a year-to-year basis. For, <laughs> but I uh, would be a bit worried if that was the case, actually, and, and that's probably one aspect of. Uh, the market that gives the RPA comfort is there doesn't look to be a hang of a lot of speculative um, you know, flipping of, of properties. If anything, turnover is really low. It's a thin market. Mm. Uh, but yes, for the for the latest latest financial year, um, yeah, it's, it's a turnaround, and we I'd say we're now into a formal correction for Sydney, sort of on the cusp for for Melbourne and perhaps Brisbane. Perth still stuck in, in a multi year mm. correction. Um, one one interesting way to to look at it, though, and I think it's probably worth revisiting. Um, uh, so, looking at corrections, not just in terms of the scale of the price decline, but uh, the number of of months of retracement. So, we know that Sydney and Melbourne uh, were, were on a, a strong surge the previous two years. So, what we've seen in terms of correction has given back roughly the, the last six months of those gains. So, uh, so if you're uh, on an eighteen month basis, we're about we're about flat. Mm. Um, given that we've been declining for nine, maybe 12 months in these two markets. Um, if you look at, at other corrections historically that way, it actually provides quite an interesting frame because we've had corrections in the past that have been um, quite short and sharp mm. but followed very big run-ups. 
So because it was short, the give back wasn't so bad. And if you're on a two or three year um, investment horizon, you were still ahead. Um, what that approach sort of reveals is that um, what can be bad is if you've got a correction coming off the back of a flat four or five years. So uh, it highlights things like Sydney and during the GFC, where we did see a, a more material price correction than what we've seen today, but it was coming off four or five years of stagnant gains, and that was a much more a much deeper uh, contraction on that basis. Similarly for uh, Brisbane in 2010-12, so we had a, a price correction through the last sort of uh, tightening cycle in, in 2009-10-11. It was a fairly shallow correction, not too bad, but it was a little bit more than what we're seeing today. It was a more sort of uh, garden variety correction, if you like, in response to rising interest rates. Um, and, and for Brisbane, that one stands out. Um, what also stands out on the, on that sort of metric is, uh, you know, if you look at the Perth market now, it's still correcting. It's now been correcting for just under five years, which yeah. is about as long as any single market in Australia has been through a price correction. That's that's a pretty. It's never really been vicious at any particular point in time, but it's certainly very protracted. Um, but uh, so yeah. A, a, Poor year, well, turnaround year for, for housing markets um, from uh, very strong in Sydney and Melbourne uh, to a, a slight decline this year. And I guess all questions are about where we head from here. Mm. Yeah, that's a good bit of context you provide because I guess what's happened is in the since roughly 2012, if we just focus on Sydney and Melbourne, house, house prices, just looking at houses, um, they, they really did run up a lot, around 70 60%, you know, mm. for each city. Um, so the pullback from the September peak, you know, let's just say it's, what is it now in Sydney, maybe 5% mm-hmm. or roughly, um, because of the prior gains, um, yep. it's given people, I guess, a lot of equity. That's right. And so I think that you know, if you look at the detail, uh, the, the bigger pullbacks are in the sub-segments that saw stronger gains. Mm. So what stands out is not a story about, about units or oversupply of, of um, apartments, it's the the, the the correction has been concentrated in houses, uh, and particularly the top end, the top 25% of properties by value have seen a more material decline. But they were the segments that saw much stronger run-ups through the previous two years. So you know, like over a sort of two-year horizon or three-year horizon, they're probably still outperforming slightly. Um, so I guess that, that gives some comfort for the you know the buy and hold investor or or the inv- or the owner who's been there um, for a longer period that maybe you know, this one should be able to ride it out. But uh, yeah, mm, but again, I mean, even despite these shallow falls in the big markets, um, it's still daily headlines, um, and there's a lot of talk about it at the moment. Guess to your point around, we're all sort of guessing, um, or you know, trying to peer into what the outlook is. Yeah, and I think the difference this time around is we're not going to get policy rescuing the situation. So uh, a, a rate cut looks extremely unlikely. Um, the RBA governor's made it pretty clear over the last month that uh, he doesn't, still doesn't like the risk return uh, uh, trade off from uh, further stimulus at this point. So he's still got that in the back of his mind that ongoing risk around high household debt levels. And if you just end up uh, re stimulating the, the housing market, that sort of, you know, that, that risk is not appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are sort of some other technical issues around rising funding costs and whether that might warrant a response, but that's an open question at the moment. But I think the broader broader picture is that we're not about to see an easing cycle in response to the weak housing market. Mm-hmm. This one's going to run for a while. It's going to be allowed to run for a while by, by the RBA. 
Um, I think as long as it's an orderly uh, price correction, they'll be very comfortable with it. Uh, but that makes it a different different situation. It's hard to know, hard to see how you know what arrests the slide at the moment. It's just you know we're talking about 0.3, 0.4% a month. It's nothing too untoward. Mm. Um, and I think under normal circumstances, we might already see a stabilisation um, through the second half of this year. As I said, the consumer sentiment picture in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, really recoiled in, in 2016, 2017, as affordability pressures really uh, became quite stretched. Um, the same measures have improved a little bit. Um, time to buy dwelling assessments are back over the 100 line uh, nationally. You know, that that's, indicates more optimists than pessimists. That's not a strong reading, though. You know, mm-hmm. Australians are generally more optimistic about about buying property. 120 is about par for that that index. <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, I'd say that in the past it would have been enough to get us a stabilisation in in the market, not necessarily a recovery. But of course, the uncertainty this time is that it's not just about sentiment; it's also about some of the the tightening in uh, mm-hmm. lending conditions and credit criteria, which is much harder to judge. Um, and and that it's unclear whether that that whole piece is, is played out yet. Mm. And you talk about um, as long as this sort of stays orderly. How what, what do you what does an orderly correction look like? And and what have what does our have our corrections in terms of price moves look like in in you mm-hmm. know the past? So uh, an orderly price correction is is pretty much what we're seeing at the moment. You know, right. when it when it's sort of you know, two to five percent a year. Um, uh, it's and I think the the difference for me is um, you know, where you get a disorderly price correction is where you either get a, a, a sharp tightening in credit conditions that can be usually through higher interest rates a tightening cycle um, uh, or sometimes you know, prior to the early nineties when credit was was um, operated a different way you may actually get an actual credit crunch rationing credit um, uh, so that or uh, a a macroeconomic shock that hits the labour market and causes a lot of basically things that contribute to uh, sellers having to sell urgently, a forced mm-hmm. sale. So that people who are running into trouble servicing the debt uh, and have to accept a lower price. Um, at the moment, what we're seeing, I think, is, is buyers are, are not willing to push anymore, and the buy the bid has sort of gone out of the market. Mm-hmm. But there's not a there's not a strong sell in the market at the moment. Um, and and so um, you know, on our view, what, you know, while we see the growth picture is not not particularly strong, and some some slowing into twenty nineteen, and that that sort of means the backdrop is quite vulnerable. This doesn't look to be an environment where you would get uh, a sharp increase in uh, people having difficulties servicing their debt, and a sharp increase in, in urgent or, or forced sales. Yeah, um, there are other things that can contribute. So obviously, if you end up with a glut of housing. Um, of, of vacant unsold properties, then that can, in itself can lead to a much deeper market correction. Again, that doesn't seem to be what we've got market-wide in the Sydney and Melbourne mm. markets. Yeah, it definitely feels like vendors are sort of just holding on. You mm. know, they're, they're just not rushing out to sell um, perhaps as they used to because they're a bit unsure and they can hang on um, until maybe the market stabilises or, you know, they just wait it out until it picks up. Mm. But um. I guess, like you said, the the one uncertainty we don't know about is this potential tightening of lending standards um, mm-hmm. and and what's going on with funding costs for banks. I mean, we've already seen some some smaller lenders have to lift their rates a little bit. Um, but I guess those two things, as long as you're um, as long as they're not massive mm. um, or you know a shock to people, 
they, they should be able to hold on a bit longer. Yeah, so it, it's sort of there's a lot of negatives at the moment. So and and that's another sort of small negative. It's not mm. it's not a big macro sort of driver, but it's it's adding to this sort of you know, death by a thousand cuts kind of yeah. environment. And I, I think also you have to say that the you know the the policy backdrop is is more uncertain heading into the federal election, and that that could also mm. uh, be a factor in, in the market over the next few months. So, um, so I think it's it's at the moment we're sort of getting this drip 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 of of, um, of negatives, and so I think whatever that's happening, it's it makes it harder to achieve that stabilisation when you don't have policy assisting it. Uh, so, uh, so at the moment, it, you know, as I said it before, it looked like you know the demand side might stabilise through the the second half of this year, that doesn't look likely to, to come through. It looks like it will stay soft and I think susceptible to price slippage uh, for, for some time yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, perhaps once some of these factors sort of drop out of the picture, you know, have been absorbed uh, and uh, you know, the demand side might start to, to come through a bit more, uh, then you may, you'll, we will see some stabilisation. But at the moment, we kind of, it doesn't quite feel like we're, we're that close to it. Yeah, and you brought up um, supply um, earlier. I I wonder how you think about that in terms of the apartment market. I saw Harry Trigoboff today in the paper again saying that market in in the Sydney apartment market is um, you know not not exactly great. And we heard, we've heard a lot of stories in the past few years, including from the RBA, that markets like Melbourne around you know South Bank etc. or Brisbane, there was a potential glut coming and um, even in Perth I think they've, they've probably argued that they've had a bit a few too many apartments How, mm-hmm. how's that part of the market playing out so that one's a bit it's still holding up reasonably well so like everyone we've been looking at the same the same issue uh, for signs of stress emerging in, in pockets of the market and and so far there haven't been it hasn't been a great deal. And notwithstanding, I think what Harry Trigoboff's talking about is the the, the prices for for new newly sold mm. apartments off off the plan. And I think they're really at the pointy end of the market. But if you look at units more generally, uh, they've tended to to be uh, more st- stable through this this price correction so far. If you look at um, you know the sort of supply metrics like rental vacancy rates, they're still very tight. They've tightened in Melbourne rather than loosened. Um, there may be some early signs of of increased supply coming through in some of the, particularly the middle and outer ring suburbs of, of Sydney, but nothing that would really get you alarmed. If you do, look talk about uh, Perth, for example, mm. in contrast, where it's not just that there's been uh, lots of building, but the, the the population flows have been have swung against the state. Um, you know, the overhang of property there is is much clearer. The rental vacancy rates are up around six percent rather than two in, in Sydney. And so there's a clearer supply issue in that market, but so far um, that hasn't quite panned out. And whether it's whether it's a matter of timing, you know, there's there's still a lot of these properties are being completed. Whether there's something else going on about properties just not being put on the held vacant off market, mm. which has been a phenomenon we've seen in some submarkets like Docklands, famously in Melbourne, yep. has uh, has plenty of, of properties that were built and then never never occupied or put put out for rent. Um, uh, so whether that's that's sort of masking some of these uh, potential price and vacancy rent effects, um, that's possible. But for what, for what we're seeing here and now, it doesn't look to have have sort of uh, it doesn't look to be that supply problem that uh, many were expecting. Mm. 
Because the price moves are, you know, when you start drilling down, because Australia isn't just one market, it's many markets. Mm. And if you look at somewhere like Perth, if we stay on WA for a sec, um, the apartment moves from the peak have been pretty dramatic, haven't they? Mm. Um, what, what's the outlook for WA? You mentioned earlier it's been through a, one of the longest corrections, I think you said, that, mm. that, yeah. that um, we've seen for a while. But I, I have noticed in recent weeks or, or a month or so, BHP, Fortescue, um, even Rio have suggested they're doing a bit more construction work mm -hmm. up north. Um, is there any sort of sign of life for Perth to come out of the slum? So it's it's showing some more promising signs. Um, certainly the the sentiment has swung around, um, and so uh, you know, consumers and businesses now see the worst as having passed. And I think they are they, they've probably been a little bit disappointed that the recovery hasn't quite materialised yet. So there's a little bit of um, maybe a little bit premature around around sentiment. Uh, as I said, there's still this glut of property, and I yeah. think the the main problem for the Perth market is is that. Um, it's going to take a while to absorb that overhang of stock. And while the economy's on a better footing, I think uh, you know, the, uh, the state government's budget this time around is the first time in several years, several budgets, three or four budgets, where they've actually upgraded their outlooks mm -hmm. um, for, for growth and revenues. Um, but uh, and so there, is, there are those signs of, of improvement, and certainly the incomes, the household incomes have also rebounded employment. And as you mentioned, the, the miners are going ahead with with new investment. They're not swinging back into a boom though. Yeah. Uh, and so for property, we, we look at that income side, but we're also interested in, in how those population flows work from here. Uh, and I think that population flow is going to be quite slow to turn around in Western Australia. And that says that that overhang of supply will be slow to be reabsorbed. It may, may take two or three years to get back to a balanced 3% vacancy rate for, for mm. the rental market, for example. So uh, I, I, I think we, we're close to stabilising, um, but it's so far it hasn't, hasn't quite come through. One of the things that's also running against Perth a little bit is that um, you know, the, the, the run-up in prices was spectacular prior to this. The correction actually began in 2014, well, well mm. before the mining cycle turned down, because the run-up in prices had been so spectacular that affordability just... It became so stretched that uh, the market rolled over well before uh, any sort of tightening effects or, or mining effects came through. Um, and, and so even though we've had this protracted price correction, and in some areas like units, it's quite large, uh, if you look at price relativity, so median price of other capital city markets compared to Perth, they're only back to what you think of as par prior to the mining boom. Right. So in other words, they're not cheap. Yeah. Um, if you contrast that with a market like Brisbane, where it's unambiguously cheap compared to longer-term relativities, then uh, Perth still doesn't sort of stand out. It's not going to be – it's not affordability that's going to draw people to Perth. It's still going to be jobs, and jobs still look a little bit elusive, I think. Mm, that's interesting because it brings in this affordability issue more broadly. And um, if you look at markets that have done well of late, you know, Hobart, um, Canberra, um, like you say, Brisbane, maybe even South Australia. Um, perhaps they are some of the ch relatively cheaper areas to Sydney and Melbourne and maybe people have mm. taken the view that maybe we'll go by in these other locations. You even see it within the Sydney and, ma and mainly Melbourne market. So the Melbourne uh, sort of lower-end properties and to a lesser extent the, the middle-range properties by price 
um, have held up a lot better uh, up until I think uh, the lower end is still getting 10% annual price gains, uh, mm. so the bottom 25% by value. That's partly because there's been uh, assistance for first home buyers that I think have been driving that. But I think it's also you know affordability drivers. Uh, you know, there's still that that sort of um, population-driven demand, for, physical demand for, for housing that's supporting, and those parts of the market. I think the, the markets are becoming, they're not just segmented by, by capital cities, but they're becoming more segmented within each of these cities. Uh, and some of what you see in apartment markets is not really the story for, for middle and outer suburbs, particularly in Melbourne, um, where you know, the, the apartment building is very concentrated in the inner city. It's more linking to foreign student demand and foreign buyer demand, and uh, perhaps has has is less, you know, is not interchangeable with other other types of property across the wider market. Mm. Um, but certainly, there, there does you know we have swung to to an affordability, you know, rather than price premium uh, premium price driven um, growth where where there is growth. Yeah. Yep. Have you you've been watching economics for a long time? Is is this issue of affordability? You know, it's popped up a lot as a social and political issue in recent times, but has it always been there relative to housing? It's been there for a long time in in uh, Australia now. I, mm. I think affordability concerns, you know, that I've spoken about the late 1990s. Um, yeah. And it, it's never – it's a very difficult problem to, to approach policy-wise. It's not – there's not many instances in which uh, I think the RBA has pointed out this in, at times. There's no there's no instance in which um, uh, affordable housing affordably has improved dramatically uh, without some other um, economic you know, big negative economic event. You know, cue the the US yeah. subprime crisis. Um, so it's difficult to, to engineer, and it, even if you you do make steps in the right direction, it can be very slow to generate improvements. The sort of stylized profile of, of the, the housing price cycle is, is sort of a several years of strong price gains and then a long period of, of flat or declining real price, so inflation-adjusted price performance. Um, because you, you don't often get that situation where a seller is in a forced sale position and has to accept yeah. uh, accept a lower price. So you go through these sort of bursts and then these sort of long sort of standoff periods between buyers and sellers. Mm. And that stand, those long periods of, of flat prices do lead to some improvement in affordability, but I think the last few cycles, those improvements have, have been just you know, not much and we've sort of gone straight back into the next price resurgence. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's a really problematic issue for Australia. Mm. It reminds me of um, in recent times we've seen in the housing finance data the first home buyers have you know come back a bit up because they were at record lows for some time. But wow, it's going to take some pretty big falls from such high levels in Sydney to really start making a big difference um, for first home. That's buyers, right. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't really want that from a macroeconomic point of view, do you? Like you said, the US housing crash, I mean, sure, prices fell 30 40%, but that's not great for the economy. It's not. And, and to engineer it is actually quite difficult. So I think in the past, you, know, you get those sorts of events when you've got a, an aggressive tightening in policy and, and everything mm-hmm. that, that comes with that. So um, you know, it, it's not often that you get that price adjustment in isolation. Uh, so And yeah, it, it, it has lots of, of knock-on effects that can be quite damaging. You know, if people are underwater on, on their properties, then you, know, you get higher defaults. You have, uh, you know, there's a whole, whole range of things that flow through uh, the financial system that can be very difficult, a la the, the US mm. crash, which um, you know, we, we wouldn't want to, to really risk. So I think um, 
it, as difficult as it is, uh, you know, I think the affordability problem is probably driving us towards, I think, towards other solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, affordability is kind of, you know, and home ownership um, is, is a, a, a sort of, not a code, but it means something slightly different than literal home ownership. What you're looking, talking about is financial security and mm-hmm. security of tenure and the ability to not be you know, kicked out of your, your house uh, at the at the you know, drop of a, a, a moment, from moment to moment. So, um, to me, it, you know, if that's if that's the underlying issue, and and you know, going back to ten years ago on, on prices is, is is a really hard task to you know, way to improve affordability. Then we need to sort of rethink about what what really is the issue for um, for people who are, are priced out of the market, and are there other ways that we can provide those you know, address those concerns, or is there a market failure that's, that can be fixed along mm. those lines. Because one of the arguments from some people have been that um, they've been priced out or comp- had to compete with investors. And obviously investor lending uh, ran up quite strongly, but then the banking regulator APRA in recent years has taken action to bring that down. And I think the recent um, RBA credit data showed um, investor lending now is running around record lows. Um, so... Talk us through what's happened mm-hmm. to investors. Yep. So, uh, so as you said, APRA introduced the the ten uh, percent speed limit on investor credit growth. That was in twenty fifteen. Uh, then in twenty seventeen, we had the uh, the cap, the thirty percent limit on the share of interest only loans, mm-hmm. uh, which um, which which was favoured by uh, investors uh, in particular. Uh, I think alongside that, you know, that the market has moved into a correction. So I think there's a sentiment shift that's happened that investors are not as as interested in the product. You've got lower rental yields in a lot of the, the main markets mm-hmm. as well. Um, and there have been um, incremental um, tightenings, sort of micro-prudential tightenings in, in criteria, where, whether it's the guidelines from APRA around loan serviceability assessments, um, we had a sort of a wave of that in 2015, and then another set of um, set of changes in 2016 and 2017. We're probably going through another wave now, uh, and all of those have just uh, been more restrictive for for borrowing. They haven't necessarily hit investors harder. Uh, I think there it's more about the the uh, the tiering of rates, the higher rates for investor and interest only uh, loans, uh, and mm-hmm. you know the more restrictive environment. And I think, uh, and as I said, you know we now have. Slow investor credit growth by by any standards. Yeah, and you've done some recent um, research, which I thought was quite interesting, in that you showed that um, in a lot of markets like Sydney and Melbourne, um, driving the falls so far have been outsized price declines in, I guess, top end properties. Yeah, um, that's been sort of um, leading the market lower. And I guess what that might have done is just spooked quite a lot of people, that's including right. investors. Yeah, it it is kind of funny. I mean, you said earlier earlier that. Um, uh, you know about how price corrections are, are more common than than people probably think. You know, they, I know, when I first moved to Sydney, there was we were in the middle of a pretty big boom at that stage. I think that was actually that was going to two thousand and two, two thousand and three, the, the really big investor property boom, where there was the view that Sydney prices only ever went up um, and that you doubled your money every seven years. Um, I think hopefully people realise that doesn't happen. We, we've had several price corrections. We've had four price corrections since then in the city market. Um, you know, this is our fifth. Uh, so while a, you know, maybe a shallow price correction doesn't get noticed as much, um, they, are, they are more common than, than you realise. In fact, I've got a 
page here of major capital cities since 1980, we've had 29 price corrections in each capital city. So, uh, in, so summed across the capital cities uh, right, since yeah. 1980. So, um, you know, that, that's a fair few for 35 years. It's, um, uh, so, you know, price corrections, and that, that's a real price correction. Some of them you have to you have to strip out the inflation effect, yeah. and perhaps that's also, you know, skewing people's memories. They think, yeah. you know, 1990, oh, that was no big deal. It was prices still went up, but actually inflation went up 15% that, those, yeah, through yeah. that period. Yeah, I think that's what I've found some data on too. There was sort of golden period for how the real house price growth was uh, sort of um, 90s to 2004. Mm. Um, and But apart from, I guess, since then, we've seen corrections uh, straight after that. GFC, mm-hmm. and around, when was it, 2012? 2012, I 2012, think there was, yeah. yeah, so that was the interest rate sort of tightening that came out of the yeah. GFC. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and so I think, um, you know, the notion that we don't see price corrections, and or uh, conversely that, that price corrections uh, are a disaster, yeah. I think that, that kind of puts pay a little bit to that. You can have fairly benign price corrections. We've had several um, on that basis. Relatively benign, yeah. Some mm. of them, but none of them were, were entirely benign, um, uh, and some people lost money, obviously. Mm. Um, but uh, it doesn't have to be the big bad crash uh, just because we start to see some price declines coming yeah. through. Um, and you brought up the good way to end actually is on interest rates and inflation because I know um, Westpac, your team, um, has been talking for quite some time about how they think official rates by, set by the RBA will be on hold. Uh, for this year and also next year. Um, and I see the market, um, other economists in the market are starting to come around to that view too, that more people think they're going to be in hold for, for that long. So can you talk us through, I guess, that dynamic and also what, what's going on with wages growth and unemployment? Because these macro yeah. things are going to be huge for what's going on in the um, property market. That's right. So, so the, wage, the wages growth story is, is absolutely pivotal. Um, domestically at the moment. It's the it's, um, key to um, the RBA's main uncertainties around consumer demand uh, and how well that will be sustained, uh, and also around inflation. That's a key driver of, of inflation over the medium term, if we're you know, looking for demand to pick up and for inflation to gradually return to target. Mm. Uh, so uh, we don't have a hard and fast answer. We know that there have been some cyclical elements to the weakness in wages growth, uh, you know, the mining investment boom bust story is, is in the picture, um, but we also know there's there's well, there's evidence that there's uh, several structural features to it. Um, that this sort of phenomenon is something we've seen uh, in, in other countries um, uh, around the developed economies in particular, uh, and that there are genuine changes in product markets and labour markets that. Uh, um, mean that wages are not responding in the same way to, mm. to tightening labour market conditions in the past, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, and I think what we've seen over the last month or so is is a clearer indication from the RBA that they're going to they're be really patient to to assess this one. You know, we had the previous few months we'd had this line from the the governor about how the next move in interest rates was likely to be up. Yeah. Um, that's now got some more qualifiers on it. It's up, but it, it's contingent on incomes growing faster than they are now and, and wages growing faster than they are now. In other words, they're not going to move rates until they're entirely comfortable, A, that the economy is on track and, and their inflation view is on track, and B, that the, the consumer can actually handle 
a rate increase. Yeah. Um, and so on, on any, it, you know, if, if you think that the risks are skewed to the downside, which, which we do around consumption spending and around wages growth, then that really takes a, a rate hike off the agenda um, for quite a while. Mm. What's, what's interesting is at the same time, as I said, the, the RBA governor just seems to, ha- seems to have very little risk, uh, appetite for the risk return trade-off of additional rate cuts. So they're, they're kind of dug in to no change. And we think you know, 2018, 2019, we'll be still in 2020, we'll be talking about whether the, the rate will move. Mm. So, um, and uh, yeah, the, you can sort of see the whole profile of that has, has been lengthening. Yeah, and that's what makes me think. If 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 you're right, which I think the forecast sounds pretty right to me, that rates probably won't be moving much. Is if official rates don't move for another at least another eighteen months, it's pretty hard to imagine any sort of lending rates moving up, you know, dramatically in the next eighteen months. And then unless there's a employment shock, it's really hard to see, you know, a crazy sort of property mm. event unfolding. Yeah, yeah. So so demand. So what, what sort of gets us moving again in the property market, I guess, and we saw something similar-ish through the 2000s, through the mid-2000s, um, where uh, policy tightened. We had a you know, the, the investor property boom and a downturn in the Sydney market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then interest rates were, were actually rising, but very gradually through, yeah. through that period. Um, and it sort of at the time, it felt like nothing was going to ever get the property market going again. Uh, there wasn't going to be a catalyst from rate cuts and and the economy was so so in the end it it, it did come through it did sort of re uh, regain momentum yeah. um surprisingly quickly so I, i'm always a bit wary about riding riding the property market off it doesn't just rely on on interest rate stimulus it, it you know time can generate its own build up of demand um, at some time so maybe that's what we're looking for but it could be a long way off good way to wrap up thanks for joining us Matt cheers that's all from us today at Westpac Wire for more head to westpacwire.com.au thanks for listening thanks for listening